Hello, and welcome to the OT Podcast Club podcast. Before this episode, we listened to the OT After Dark episode 6.9, Getting Explicit with Kate Burke. These are edited highlights of our conversation about sex, intimacy, and occupational therapy. I thought we'd start with who'd heard of the models before? I'll say I had not. I had not. I know, I'd never. No, I hadn't heard of it at all either. Yeah. Uh, see, I had because they did it as part of the OT Society talk. So I, Kat had explained the explicit model. Was that part of the curriculum, Angie? Was that? No. no? So the OT Society was run by the students. Um, okay. And we had various guest speakers that came along with the social events and stuff like that. I was quite surprised by like the ages of the model, like the ex, uh, no, places in the 70s. And so like 76, oh yeah, then 2010, recognition model, yeah. and 2007 for the, the uh, explicit. I'm not sure I recall in any context before having been introduced to the models. Like I've talked about sex within my practice it absolutely came up and it's been relevant and I've done that but I don't think I'd ever had the models themselves introduced to me before. I think we must have mentioned it at uni at some point in terms of sex and stuff like that being an ADL I'm I'm sure that was mentioned somewhere along the way but yeah not not the models we weren't taught the models it kind of talked about that there's almost not enough education about it and I just wondered if we could think about that for a bit whether we think there isn't enough where would it fit well what would work well I don't think you'd want it as a standalone thing necessarily would you you'd want it sort of strung throughout so each time you were talking about something different you'd want someone to be bringing it up as as something that might be influenced I would agree. I think it needs to be throughout because otherwise, if you do it as a topic on its own, then you are making it bigger than it is. Instead of it being something that's normal and just fits with everything else that you talk about, you're then taking it out and making it separate again and making it a big thing. I I think I nearly see it both ways. I think it has to happen at two levels. Like I think, first of all, this cultural shift has to happen. Like I think we would be really interested to survey OTs on this kind of thing, you know, and see what people's views are around sex as an occupation. A friend of mine here in Ireland who is trying to set up some trainings and interventions around this area and in kind of um, some casual kind of research and things that she did online, she did say there was some kind of feedback from OTs, not just in Ireland, it was an international survey, but around whether it's appropriate that OTs should be addressing this area, whether sex can be viewed as an occupation or masturbation as an occupation. So I think even amongst OTs and then academics and educators, making sure that it is embedded at that level, that it is just considered another occupation and that in the same way that you're talking about toileting or grooming or transfers, that you're also talking about sex and sexuality in that way. And But I do also wonder then, are there specific areas in the curriculum that it could be explored a bit more 
I don't know, the one off the top of my head would be around like older adults. We certainly in my degree did a whole module devoted to older adults and the well elderly studies and things like that and looking at this whole third act kind of now of life now that people are living longer. And I think, it, you know, it can fit in maybe a bit more explicitly into some uh, modules like that, considering that perhaps certain populations are a little bit stigmatized or overlooked with regards to, let's say, sexuality, intimacy, relationships. So I think for me, it's kind of on two levels, like embedded into the everyday conversations, but then maybe at certain occasions also being able to delve a bit further into it and, and consider it. But I quite liked, um, you know, the person, O.T. Kate, who did the most of the talking on the podcast, that bit in which she described how she got into it that she was almost doing her own reflection for her CPD and suddenly went, actually, I'm not sure I ever really touch on this enough or whether this is a bit of a blind side in my own practice. And I thought that was really quite useful because I think we do get blind sides in our practice that actually then to have that challenged and stretched is a good thing. Yeah, and I think that comes back to kind of what I've taken away from it is very much that I, if you'd have asked me, I'd have been quietly confident that I did address this and I, I was comfortable and I have the awkward conversations and I drop it in here and there, but actually a little bit of deeper thought about it. And I think there are some gaps and there are some bits that I could be doing better, definitely. I think I'm actually less good at the P, at the permission bits than the ally, the limited information bit. I, I was thinking that that's kind of interesting, that I wonder why it is that if we give certain medications, we know that they have side effects, not being able yep. to get an erection. Yep. Mm. Yep. And, you know, we're seeing young lads in their 20, early 20s. And some know. of them already feel embarrassed that they've got a mental health condition and the stigma that goes with that. So then when you mm. add that and on top, they just feel like they're not a proper man is, is the mm. comments we get sometimes. And I Absolutely. think because there are those, like for me, that was exactly where it came up regularly within my practice because of erectile dysfunction, that it's such a known side effect that you either you can't get it or it causes issues with it going away again afterwards, or like you knew that that topic might come up. Mm. So I think that was almost where the limited information and the acknowledgement and the validation of it and let's put this topic on the table stuff tended to happen more than perhaps other aspects of it. Yeah and I think that's why I realised that I'm more comfortable in that limited information zone. Yeah. I'm still not sure how I would do the permission bit more. It's definitely something I need to go and think about a lot. Like just have let's talk about sex baby on the radio every time I drive someone somewhere <laughs> yes some of it like for me they talked about there's the plicit model and then they said well actually the model we really love is the recognition model because of these different factors and for me the different factors was about recognizing that everybody is a sexual being and I thought yeah. yep fair point it is good to remember that and I quite liked that separation of don't just think of that for somebody who's in a relationship think about yeah. sexuality and intimacy for people who aren't in a clear partnership and don't mm. discount that I thought that was a great thing I think I noticed if the client I'm working with is in a relationship there's automatically a maybe a, an in that you can follow a bit of a line of questioning based on that but I think for most like a lot of people 
that I find I work with, yeah, maybe they're single. And I do often ask, would they, I like about, you know, any romantic, same way I ask about like relatives, about friendships. I ask somebody, it's okay, in any romantic relationships. And often people will kind of just say that it's not a priority right now or it's not something they've had in a long time. And then I think I'm guilty of leaving the question there around it, you know, and I don't go on to explore how that affects them, apart from maybe loneliness, but we definitely never get into kind of, you know, sexual dissatisfaction or masturbation or anything like that, like having a sexual relationship with yourself. We never really get into that. And I kind of see a bit of a, um, like a blockade in my practice now in my life, like questioning that that kind of where actually I think I need a bit of more follow-up questions or something. And I think even that phrasing of romantic relationships, like it, it might not be romantic, but it, yeah. it might be they're having sex and how they're seeking that out. And, yeah. or I don't know. I just think that there's, that was the phrase that jumped at me when I heard it, that it might not be something that class as romantic, but it might be about like, how do you think you're expressing your sexuality? And one of the things that they talked about was when they introduce OT, they say, you know, we, we're here to help you with things like washing, dressing and sex and intimacy. And I was like, oh, but I don't ever introduce myself in that way because I'm like, I'm here to help with everything. And then you can't make it as explicit as that because that's then making it a thing. Like, I'm not mentioning anything else specifically. Yeah, sometimes you, you almost need to get to know somebody a little bit more, I think, mm-hmm. before you ask that question. Because I suppose that's the point of you keep asking for that permission, don't you? In that even if you ask them the first time they met you, they may be like, who on earth is this woman who's come in here and started talking to me about this? Whereas actually, if you'd, if you then maybe, I don't know, a few weeks later ask them again and you'd built that therapeutic relationship, they might then feel comfortable. But, you know, it it's not necessarily something you'd share on like a first meeting. It was on my mind also, yeah, in terms of when's the appropriate time. I think it, depending on your setting can be done at a first meeting. But yeah, definitely from a mental health perspective, which I think we're all working in, um, I'm not sure that it, it fits really. And like Kate, I, I identify with what you said, like I would introduce the role of OT very differently what I was really looking forward to tonight is like maybe discussing from yeah, a mental health perspective because I do think maybe in some of their contexts of the podcast, like acute care, where you have a very limited uh, period of intervention with the client, as they said, you often have to do very intimate activities in terms of self-care and dressing and toileting and stuff up front. And so maybe because of that, it kind of creates a different kind of therapeutic alliance that you can talk about those things it, it might seem more appropriate to bring that up because you're going to be discharged in a few days and you need advice on not just getting up and down off the toilet but also yeah like positions in bed so i think it, it, it maybe is a slightly different approach that needs to be taken in like a mental health context definitely i think we cover so much in an initial interview and we will get to a sort of question about any personal relationship but yeah absolutely wouldn't go further than that but again 
it's such a long session and we've only just met the person and they're normally kind of terrified because they've come to a mental health building as a starter and they've spent you know an hour an hour and a half with two people asking them about stuff that they're scared of embarrassed of don't understand actually expecting them to get into sex at that point seems unfair but then that's my judgment that it's unfair that's coming back to this where we started isn't it that's me deciding that it's really difficult (laughs) I think I could go backwards and forwards on this all night Hmm. yeah it's almost like sort of mentioning it in terms of this might be something you want to discuss later when we've got to know each other better or you can bring something up now Hmm. if you feel comfortable but just giving that again it's that permission isn't it we can come back to this if you want to if it is important to you I kind of quite liked that idea of just dropping it into conversation and saying other people have talked to me about this and have found this to be a relevant topic. We don't have to, but you could if you wanted. I kind of felt that that might be quite an accessible-ish sort of a way. So you're not asking a direct question, so to speak, of the person if they don't want to talk about that topic. But equally, you are putting it on the table as an okay topic to be talked about Hmm. I guess phrasing it like that just it helps to normalize it a bit more lots of other people have talked about this and we're talking about it in the context of you know the entirety of your life and it it just helps it to feel more normal rather than you know Hmm. quite specific that you're poking away at trying to like you know yeah and then you can include kind of the different bits of it separately can't you so you can have a kind of relationships and intimacy and sex kind of separated out it's almost like that prompt isn't it to remind you that that you need to ask about these different areas I think there's a certain security and safety in that though as well sometimes if it's on the forum maybe around this topic it it makes it not only does it remind you to cover it but it also I don't know can hopefully just in time as you get used to it and become more comfortable asking those questions also as a therapist that it just becomes yeah embedded into the other lists of questions you know and I do think there's a level of security having it printed on your as formalized as part of your assessment. I think that aspect about having it as a prompt is almost what they were saying about the models that it almost just provides that little bit of a structure that perhaps perhaps if culturally it's not a topic we normally touch on or that we feel that we've had the training for that actually a little bit of a structure and a prompt is the thing that gives us confidence to it's almost like giving us permission to give them. yeah yeah I think that's a good point and about that actually the recognition model did more exploring and allowing somebody else to guide that process and to talk about perhaps what their perspectives or their needs were. But actually, I think a lot of that is just applying OT and the process. And like models, are they're nice things, aren't they? But they almost said it was just a way of getting past the awkwardness and of starting the conversation. And actually, those conversations start in all sorts of other ways as well, don't they? And often mental health can be quite, in terms of the practice areas you're in, quite a slow burn in relationship and rapport building and potentially introducing a topic that other people might not be ready for could jeopardize that mm-hmm. definitely and it's it's like you said i think it's about being able to bring it up in a way that's comfortable and, and natural give permission but it doesn't mean that they'll tell you anything yeah but i think that does come back to 
actually it's not our job to run someone else's life is it it's about Mm. offering opportunities and you know in your story of it Kate what I liked is that there were lots of things different ways tried and I think that is a good thing to to give opportunity but whether people take them up or not is always that complex mix of different factors and it isn't a once only conversation is it in all sorts of other aspects of what we do with people we don't just touch on something once and go all right we talked about that now I'm never going to touch it again we we come back to those things time and time again just going where are you at with this now it, it reminds me, um, but like the story you had there, Kate, though, as well of, you know, sometimes I like the same with sexuality with the client. And I mean that in terms of kind of sexual orientation and attraction, you know, and I don't know, I guess sometimes either yourself as a therapist or as an MDT, there is a hunch or a, a question over somebody's sexuality and wondering if it was the root of a lot of other issues that was going on for them at the time. But I think like that, it's exactly as you said, Kate, it's about trying to lay out a, diff- a couple of different options, creating a very safe space for them to disclose it if and when they want it. But that, yeah, as you said, Ruth, you can't also run people's lives if it's not the time for them to seek help with that or seek support if there is something to seek help about we might have been way off the track <laughs> it is that thing you can't force it you know i guess it is such a personal journey for so many people but it's a, it can be frustrating i think as a therapist or it can be a bit you want maybe to help somebody yeah I think sometimes when you hear people's recovery narratives of like almost when they've got to a different point of their journey and they talk back and reflect on their journey, you'll often hear so many times that there was there was this moment of opportunity for this, but for this reason, this reason, this reason, that wasn't the moment. And then they came to another moment and for different reasons that was. And I think like I just think we have to remember that sometimes when we're working with people that we don't get to set the pace for what their journey looks like and I think particularly if you've worked in services for a long time you almost learn how to read the roadmap of their journey and you know there's this phase and then we move into this and but actually for the person living it I just it doesn't feel like that at all and they're just Mm. living it and working it out for themselves and navigating it in the way that makes most sense to them Mm -hmm. I think our job is always just to be offering an opportunity and they get to decide what they want from it Mm, I think from our point of view because a lot of the MDT are there a lot of the time and a lot of the same nurses or HCAs it might be that you've given them the opportunity to say something that they've not taken but that started their cogs turning and actually Mm. they might go to somebody else who they yeah. feel they've got a really strong relationship, who's on the ward for yeah. 12 hours straight in one go. It might be them that they go to and talk about it. And that's not a reflection necessarily on yourself or your own skills. It's just that everybody will have certain people that they feel more comfortable with. But that just that recognition of, no, they might not have wanted to talk to you about it, but actually at least they're talking to somebody now and mm-hmm. it's out on the table. Mm-hmm. I guess that's very true in the community as well, isn't it? That you might sort of ask a question that they don't want to answer, but then they might go talk to their mum about it or, you know, they might go talk to their best mate or they might just go home and think about it a lot. And, you know, absolutely doesn't have to be that it comes back to you or comes back Mm -hmm. to services. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it's good enough that it's planted the seed. 
Yeah, I absolutely think that, that when I did my master's and interviewed some of the people that were in our service, that that was absolutely one of the things they said, that actually just being asked questions started a ball rolling. It started a ball rolling in their head. It started conversations that happened and it didn't all happen quickly necessarily, but it did start something. Yeah, it was interesting, but that was one of the quotes that particularly when I looked back on it struck me, that sense in which when you're working in something, it can be so hard to see the pace of change or to see the moment of change. But hearing it back in that person's own words, that this was part of what had made the difference was really powerful. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed our conversation. Next time, we will be listening to the OT Uncorked episode 26, Beyond COVID, Occupational Disruption and Wellbeing. Why don't you uncork a bottle of wine and join us then? <laughs>